0: a great example of how repetition in a song uh, can be fused with meaning there because God's steadfast love endures but then we're reminded that the way it endures is in specific actions that he takes on behalf of his people again and again. So turn with me now in the book uh, in your Bibles to the book of Ruth and we've come to the second chapter. Ruth is quite a refreshing Uh, breath of uh, fresh air, I guess. As you go through your Bibles, you have the first five books of Moses and God there taking a family and turning them into a nation and bringing them out of slavery and then planting them in their own land. And then in the book of uh, Joshua, you see how they take the land and they possess it. And then in the book of Judges, which we studied last year, uh, the kind of lawlessness that prevails when there's no king and then we come to Ruth, and it's this wonderful transition from a time with no t- king to a time when we get the king in the book of Samuel. And, uh, and what you see is God's uh, mercy, in, and, and so from going to dealing with nations and wars and battles and great movements of people down to just one family, uh, one family, a mom, a dad, and two sons, and they go off. And uh, the father dies, and the sons marry, and then both of the sons die. And so now we have uh, Naomi, uh, the widow, uh, coming back with one of her uh, widow, uh, widow um, daughters-in-law named Ruth uh, back to the promised land. So we'll pick up our reading at chapter 2, verse 1, and then uh, just read down to verse 13 this morning. This is God's word. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, "Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. that there will, in the reading of God's word, <clears throat> may He bless it to us as we study it together. This morning. A number of years ago, a young man came to our congregation. He's no longer with us, but certainly some of you will remember this. Uh, He seemed to have a genuine faith. He seemed to trust the Lord, but he had just recently been released from prison. And uh, he had been in jail for a a very serious crime and uh, had come to us basically with nothing but a few possessions in a backpack. He was homeless and he was staying in a local, local homeless shelter uh, where he wanted to come and worship. And um, certainly a person in that circumstance is about as low uh, as a person can go. All his possessions in one backpack and uh, no place to live. And... Um, Often, uh, we're not in that kind of a circumstance, but when we're brought low, uh, we, we believe that God uh, loves us. We believe he has a plan for us. We saw that last week. How Naomi uh, had trouble believing God had good in mind for her. And we might be able to convince ourselves that God has good in mind for us, but we can get to a place where we just can't see how it's going to happen. How can God work with this situation in order to bring about a blessing in my life. And uh, I'm sure that's happened to you before. You're wondering, how have I gotten here and how is it that God can work? We stand in need of God's grace, but how is it that that grace is going to come to me? And what we're gonna see in this passage is some of the channels by which the grace of God flows out to his people. Just as we sang before in Psalm 136 about God's steadfast love, about his his gracious love that can be interpreted. But but that love flowed to the people through concrete things that God was doing amongst the people. And that's what we sing about in Psalm 136. And we're going to see in this passage here how God's grace flows to his people through certain channels. And that should be an encouragement to each one of us, and that is the main point we hope to see this morning. This is in the outline that I gave you. God's grace flows into your life in many ways, but ultimately it comes to you through Jesus Christ, who is God's man of excellence, and we'll see why that term is so important as we look at this passage. Now, you children, you might draw for me one of these ways that God blesses Uh, Ruth and Naomi and just listen there's several different ways maybe draw one or two of these for us as we think about how God blesses us well the first thing I want us to notice here as we look at the passage is that before God you and I are indeed truly needy so Naomi comes back uh, with Ruth her daughter-in-law to the promised land and we talked about this last week how uh, she looks so haggard that people didn't really even recognize her Uh, But she says to them, if you go back in chapter 1, verse 20, uh, do not call me Naomi, that means pleasant, but call me Mara, that means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. So she's, of course, thinking about her husband, her children, and she's come back without any of them. You have to wonder what Ruth is thinking as she's standing there and Naomi's saying, I came back empty, uh, Ruth doesn't count for very much at this point, at least where, where Naomi is in her head. Uh, she again, she can't see a way out of this problem that she's in. She and Ruth have no money. There are no men uh, to provide for them. There's no land uh, that la- the family land's been sold. So they really have no, no prospects. And of course, the immediate need they have is just simply to stay alive and to have food to feed themselves. So here are, your, here are your resources. You have two widows. One of them's a foreigner who knows nobody. Uh, one of them is older and is clearly weighed down uh, uh, in grief. And uh, that's, the, that's the resources you have and the needs are very, very great. So what are they going to do? Well, Ruth and Naomi knew that they were in a situation that was desperate and the only way they were gonna get out of it is if God's grace was provided for them. We've had the experience down here in this neighborhood since the Shalom Center moved a few blocks away uh, of seeing more uh, of the homeless people come by the church. Now, what's interesting is we've learned that the Shalom Center is moving in the next year out uh, a little bit farther west. Um, But what often happens when we've worked with these people over the years is they recognize uh, that they have a problem, but they see this very short-term need that they have, and they wanna fix that really short-term need, um, whether it's getting a fix uh, or just having uh, enough to buy a hamburger or something like that. And they have a real trouble looking at the bigger needs that they have, what's really causing the dysfunction in their lives. And that's been challenging, because when we've had people come, we've tried to say, okay, if we're gonna help you, we, we need to get beyond just this immediate thing and try to get into where the real problems are. And they really have trouble seeing what their fundamental, ultimate need is. And sometimes Christians can be, can be like that as well. Sometimes we're very caught up in my needy me. I need for my plumbing not to leak, right? We talked about that. I need for my car to start in the morning. I need for my kid to obey me and do what I want, want him or her to do. And there's all kinds of things that are pressing on us. And really, those, those are important things. I don't want to minimize those at all. But sometimes those mask these far deeper needs that are spiritual that we have have before the Lord, that we're not really growing in our faith, that we're not prioritizing spending time with God, that we're not seeing uh, God work in our lives, that we're not reaching out in love uh, to other people, that we're not content with what God has given us and where God has placed us. And so while we may feel fairly self-sufficient, and yeah, maybe I have a little challenge here or there, Um, God's word reminds us that before him we are all needy and in many ways as we look at Naomi's situation and see the the great need there we should be reminded of our great need before God we are truly needy well secondly we start to see how God meets some of these needs through giving us his grace and one of the ones is by putting you in a community of grace so we said last time that verse 22 in chapter 1 kinds of, uh, ends with a little uh, gleam of hope because it says they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, that's hopeful because remember, they left Bethlehem because there was a famine on. So the fact that there's a harvest is actually a good sign that God has brought food back to this place. And so this is, this is potentially helpful. But, uh, but we didn't have to ask how are two... Uh, women going to be able to provide for themselves they don't have a field they don't have land they can't plant and grow anything how are they going to be able to feed themselves well uh, this is a story that could only happen in the nation of Israel because they came to a land that made provisions for people who were poor uh, so children when we read you might have read there that, uh, that Ruth asked if she can go glean And that's a term that we don't use very often in our day and age. But gleaning was something that God allowed so that poor people could feed themselves. So I put in your outline a couple of references from the Old Testament that describe this. So Leviticus 19, verse 9. And there the Lord told the people, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. So when you're bringing in the grain, you don't, you, know, you don't sweep the field and pick up every last piece. You let some of it fall and you just leave it there. You don't go back and pick it all up. Or Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of of your hands. So see, they were coming to a nation uh, that was governed by God's law, and God's law was a reflection of God's gracious character, and, and his law required that they make provision for people who were in desperate situations to be provided for. So they could come along after the farmer went through his field, and he just goes through it once. He doesn't go back through it and back through it to pick up every last bit. He just goes through it once, once. Then the poor people could come along afterward, and they could pick up the grain that was left. And so this was a a way for them to stay alive. They could eat it, or they could sell the grain that they collected. And notice that in Deuteronomy, it's a provision for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Well, Ruth is a stranger and a widow, so she's really qualified for this. And you, you can see the wisdom Of God's plan because there is a provision for people who have experienced hardship, but the provision itself requires work. It doesn't dehumanize people. It doesn't incentivize people to sit around and do nothing while somebody else gives them things. Uh, It's not not an alternative lifestyle. You're you're not meant to live by gleaning indefinitely. It's meant to allow you to provide during a, a rough patch so that you can then Uh, Get over it, but this is a picture of the way a community of grace Operates that there is such a law that there is a provision and clearly in these fields. They were allowing the poor uh, To glean and so we should recognize one of the ways that God's grace comes to you is through being in a community that's governed by the word of God a community of grace and the church truly is an island Of that in the midst of a world that is is not very friendly this is a world of cancellations I don't know if you saw uh, pastor Alistair Begg who's been preaching for 40 years at a reformed church outside of Cleveland on his radio show uh, he offered an opinion uh, an opinion on a matter of counsel I didn't necessarily agree with his opinion but it was just an opinion and uh, for that, there's been this hue and outcry and some of the radio broadcasters that carry his show have canceled him. And uh, I said to my wife, I said to really remind you that we're all just one, take one position on one controversial issue away from having our careers you know, derailed and being canceled. This is the world in which we live. And uh, that's not, that shouldn't be the way of the church, uh, a community. Of grace, where people can be forgiven and people can be encouraged and people can have their needs met and people can care for them. And this is where Naomi and Ruth come. They come to Bethlehem. And remember how remarkable this is because this is all happening during the time of the judges um, when people are being killed and abused and lawlessness is going on throughout the land. And here is this beautiful island of grace. Quoting from Christopher Wright, he said, this is life in a faithful covenant community, a community where hearts have been transformed by grace. And he really, he puts his finger on something that I never noticed before, that one of the reasons Ruth is so refreshing is that everybody in the book seems to have been touched in one way or another by God's grace. There's no, you know, bad guy Uh, trying to get you or anything like that and this really is by intention and by design to show you what kind of a community the church should be like what a blessing that God's drawn you into a community of grace that's one of the primary ways he blesses you well thirdly we see here that God's grace also comes to you through diligent effort Uh, I mean don't get scared now. I know we're not, we're, not, we're not going away from election here. We're not saying that uh, we earn anything. But there is a place for diligent effort. And, and this we cannot miss. So notice in verse 2 here, um, Ruth asks Naomi permission. It's fascinating. Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain. So uh, she asks Naomi permission to be Naomi's servant. Uh, We don't know, why is Naomi not leading the charge? Why is Naomi not the one taking them out? We don't even know how Ruth knows about this provision of the law, but she seems to know it. So perhaps Naomi's old or she's in bad health, but it's quite likely that she's depressed and she's just not able to do anything. But one thing we do know is that Ruth is obedient and diligent, and she is showing us the way a Christian should deal with, with adversity. She doesn't know how this whole story is going to end, but she knows they need to eat, so she has to do the next thing, which is go and get grain. I put a quotation in your outline. This is one of the, the uh, people Dave Ramsey loves to quote. Uh, he's, uh, he's a 19th century uh, Cajun uh, uh, writer, and his name is Alfred Mercier. He says, it's want of diligence rather than want of means that causes most failures. And uh, that's an interesting thing to ponder. Uh, but here we see Ruth not failing for a want of diligence. So she walks out of the city gate. And so uh, the way the fields would be, the field, there are no fences in those days. The fields are just all out there. She walks out of the city gate. She doesn't try to analyze which is the best field for me She's just determined to go and to serve, and so she goes out into the field, and she starts to glean. Now, uh, I know that some of our young people are looking for summer jobs. Um, When I was young, I never did this, thankfully, and my parents never made me, but it was quite common for my friends to do corn detasseling uh, for the summer job. So uh, if you've ever done that, you know that's not very much fun because it's hot and it's humid, and it's buggy, and you're walking amongst the rows of corn, uh, trying to pull tassels that get missed by the machinery, and it's all day out there just sweating. Uh, I saw some somewhere an advertisement asking for people to do this, and it said in there, "You will end your, you will earn your money." Uh, so that's always a sign of what you're dealing with. And as bad as that is, though, I think gleaning would be worse because when you're detasseling, you're actually reaching up and pulling off something and just throwing it on the ground. But if you're, uh, if you're gleaning, you're bending over on the ground and you're sorting through stalks and trying to find heads of grain, and then you've gotta put it into some kind of a basket that you're carrying. And because you're not gonna be feeling comfortable taking that basket and laying it over on the side of the feet, you know, you, you've got your stuff with you. So you're carrying that, you're all hunched over. This is in the Middle East, all throughout the day, or well, you know, as hot as it is here, it's extremely hot. Uh, so this is a hard work, and she is at this all day long. And on top of all that, the implication from the text is that it could be a dangerous endeavor uh, for a foreign woman, uh, coming in, a single woman, to come in and do this. And she's all alone as she comes to this situation. Uh, One of the commentators, Robert Hubbard said, Ruth is a person of remarkable initiative and courage. Have you children ever gone to a new school? You know what that's like or to a new situation or been on a new team? That's kind of nerve wracking when you go in there the first day and you don't know what to expect. You don't know who you're gonna meet. You don't know what's gonna happen. But that was Ruth's situation. And as, as nervous as she probably was, she just goes right ahead and goes out into the field and gets to work. And notice how humble she is, she doesn't complain. In verse seven, she very politely asks the the reapers, uh, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she comes in the morning and she is is humble, she asks for permission, she's grateful, she thanks them at the end. And she really shows us in every way uh, how we ought to respond to adversity. You know, this young man who came to us at this really, really low point, uh, some of the things he did, which, which, which actually, is, as much as he struggled, he got a job. He didn't have a place to live, and he was able to get a job. And he showed up for the job. And he did that so regularly that he actually got promoted in the job. And he eventually was able to find a place to live, that would take him with, the, with his record. And, so, and, and once he got his place, he paid his rent. He, he paid his rent. And he came to church very faithfully. And he met with uh, the other pastor at that time very regularly. And, and for all his struggles, he was incredibly diligent. And it was amazing to see how God's grace moves in those situations. Because he was in a, a deep, dark hole. And God started to bring him out of that. And that's what you see here. This whole situation with Ruth and Naomi is starting to turn now. It's starting to turn. And, and one of the things God is using is Ruth's faithful diligence. And we need to acknowledge how uncommon this kind of attitude is. Because in our world, when things don't go well, it's somebody else's fault. Somebody else needs to fix this. It's not me, and, uh, and, and, and I think even, even in the church, we can struggle with this kind of temptation where our immediate response is to complain, God, this isn't what I signed up for, what's going on here? And the text is really pushing us toward the value of obeying God in the, in the short term and waiting for him to work, waiting him to work. One of the, one of the analogies people often use, like a boat if you want to steer a boat, the boat has to be moving on the water, whether it's a sailboat or, or it's a, something you're paddling. If you're not moving, you cannot steer it. And it's very much true in your life. If you're not moving, uh, it's hard for God to direct you and to be at work. Ian G- Duguid says it this way, faith doesn't simply sit around waiting for provision to drop down from heaven. We are called to do what we can and as we do to trust that God will provide for our needs. And so this is one of the ways God's grace comes to you, just being obedient in doing what he's put in front of you as you wait for him to work. But fourthly here, we see that God also meets our needs through particular grace-filled people. So the book of Ruth, it's really not about faithful communities and it's not about diligent workers. It's really about God's grace coming to needy people through particular people or we might say particularly through one person and we're introduced to him in the first verse of our of our passage there was a relative of naomi's husband a man of great wealth of the family of elimelech his name was boaz now it's interesting because in verse one the narrator is sort of saying here here's something you need to keep your eye on this this is an important person and then he doesn't e- even come on the scene till verse four in this narrative, but the, the narrator's an, uh, al- alerting us to his importance. And notice that he is called a man, in, in this translation, a man of great wealth. There's two Hebrew words there, and they're actually the very same words that the angel of the Lord uses to describe Gideon back in the book of Judges when he calls Gideon uh, a mighty man of valor. The exact same words here, Mighty man of valor. Now, if it's a military context, that's why they, the second part they say valor. Uh, but here it's not a military context, so some of the translations say wealth. Uh, some of the translations say a man of great standing. Uh, some of the translations just say a man of worth or a worthy man. And and this is the idea. He, he's a man of of means. He's a man of great standing in the community. He's a man of character. He's a man that has resources and a man who can get things done. And so you could almost translate this a man of excellence or a man of excellent worth. That's who Boaz is. Uh, We know there's a genealogy at the back of uh, of, at the end of Ruth. uh, And we know from also reading in the book of Numbers that he's the grandson of Nashon, who was the prince of the entire tribe of Judah when they were in the desert. And he's the grandson of, the great, of that great prince of Judah. So he is a man who has connections, and he's from a great family. He's a faithful man. And we can tell from what we read here, he's a man whose life is the same way on Sunday as it is the other six days of the week. He's not just going through the motions. Look at how he greets his workers in verse 4 when he comes to them and says, The Lord be with you. And they say to him, The Lord be with you bless you. Isn't that a wonderful way to greet your workers? Anyone expecting that to happen when they go to work on Monday, right? The Lord bless you. The Lord be good to you, be gracious to you. But that's the grace of this workers. He comes to check up and see how the, the, uh, the workers in the field are doing. And notice how generous he is. He comes to Ruth and he says to her in verse 8, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, but stay close by my young women. So he makes her feel comfortable. In a sense, he he lets Ruth work with his servants, right with the reapers. And he says, this is the field you should stay in. Because again, there are no fences. It's not real obvious where one field begins and one ends. This is the part that's mine. You stay here, I've got my eye on you. And he elevates her position, right? He he says, he, he basically puts her on par with the servants who are part of his household. Um, and, then, and then he says in verse 9, well, he says, first of all, uh, uh, don't, I've told the young men not to touch you. I mean, so he, he, he cares for her safety. And obviously, again, this is the time of the judges. I saw a hierarchy of all the people in Israel, starting at like, uh, you know, king and then going down like clan leader, family, all this. Sixteen levels. You know what the lowest level in the whole society is? Foreign woman. So Ruth is literally at the bottom of the hierarchy in that culture. And, and so he is, is taking care for her and making sure she's protected and isn't gonna be molested uh, by the workers. Um, she, he also does something incredible here uh, when he says to her, uh, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn because most of the, reaper, or the people gleaning would have to stop their work walk all the way to wherever the community well was, get their own water to take a drink, haul it back, and so that it would disrupt the day. So now she just gets to go and drink the water that's there. So in every way, he's providing for her, and he's watching out for her and taking an interest in her. Further, he goes on and he encourages her in verses 11 and following. He tells her what he's heard about her and what she's done, and uh, he says, the Lord repay you for your work in a full reward." be given to you by the lord god of israel so it's an amazing thing that he does here and why does he do it well deuteronomy 10 verses 18 and 19 tell us and there uh, god says he administers justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing therefore love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of egypt god says i loved you when you were strangers this is what you are to do. So here is a man who loves God, and that love for God is flowing out into his love for other people. And so Boaz is a tremendous example to us. One of the commentators says, you know how a weather vane like it, 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 it pivots, and so it follows the wind. And he said, this is a guy who's, who, who's, whose wind is gospel wind. It's the spirit of God blowing through his life, and this is the way his life points, no matter where he is, whether he's at work, whether he's in the home, this is the way he operates. It's, uh, it's an amazing uh, picture of God's grace, and it's a reminder, right, that we said before, God often blesses us by bringing us to the covenant community, to the community of grace, and yes, being in the church is a tremendous blessing, but on top of that, right, God particularly blesses you through specific individuals who are living grace-filled lives who reach out to you and help you. And we we know this experientially in our congregation. It's so great to have Greg and and Cheryl with us this morning. They had a period of time where they couldn't go out to shop for a year or or something like that. And yet food was appearing at their house. And it wasn't just because, hey, we're in the church and food magically appears at the house. It's because particular individuals were going to the store and buying it and coming and bringing it, right? And this is how God's grace comes to us when we go out of our way to intentionally love and serve other people in the body of Christ, right? Who gives you a ride when you need a ride? Who fixes something when it's broken? Uh, I learned this week that one of my, uh, one of my youth group buddies uh, managed to nudge uh, a wall, a, a, a pillar at his house. And somebody came from the church to help fix that. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing that God is there working through the other people in the congregation. And so we need to recognize that. And we need to ask ourselves, am I being used? Am I serving as God wants me to? And am I letting other people serve me when I'm in need because God's grace comes through particular diligent people well ultimately uh, we see here it's it's not that God's grace just flows through particular people but that it flows to you through the Lord Jesus Christ and he's the great man of excellence uh, the one who notices you and notices me so we have to see here Boaz is more than just a godly man he is that but he is also clearly a type of Jesus Christ. And we'll get into that a little more even next week. But God sent Boaz in particular. And the narrator of the story wants you to know that this is not an example, or not, not uh, just, a, um, uh, just an accident. It is a providence of God. So if you look in verse 3, uh, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the fa- of the family of Eliminate. Like, isn't that amazing, right? She walks out the city gate, she picks a field, and she goes to it, and the narrator tells us she just happened to do that. Well, we know nothing in this story is just happening by accident. This is God's hand to lead her into the very field of this man, this particular man. And when he comes to the field, he notices her. You see that in verse five. He says, whose young woman is this? Now that may seem strange to us. Why would you ask who does she belong to? The reason is because what I just said on that hierarchy, people's importance all was tied to the family, the clan, their connections. And so a woman unattached like this is completely vulnerable. And uh, and he notices this woman. And he wants to find out about her. And, and notice that her situation isn't an impediment to his heart going out to her. She, he sees her, he describes her as a loyal servant of her mother-in-law in verse 11. But most importantly, he recognizes her as someone who has put her trust in the living God. He says at the end of verse 12, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And here really is the secret of God's grace that we can do nothing to merit it. And it only comes to us when we are empty handed and in need. And what we see here is this mighty man of excellence, the one who has the resources, noticing this poor foreign widow woman and going out to her. She has nothing, nothing. He has everything. He has the family connections. He has the wealth, he has the land, he has the name, he has the food, and he takes notice of her and he gives his resources to her. And this is your hope and this is my hope, that the greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ, the truly excellent man of God, the one with perfect character, the one who has all the resources, that he comes to us and he gives of his resources to us Who lack and who do not have. And the beautiful thing is, he notices people like you and me. He notices us. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. I put in your outline from Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus quoting from Isaiah, but applying it to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is what Jesus came to do, to minister to those in need. He calls himself gentle and lowly, and he comes to the lowly. Psalm 136, which we sang earlier, who remembered us in our lowly state. This is what the Lord does. And what is her response? Look at verse 10. She fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And and that really is the response that you and I should have when we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. The truly excellent man of God who's come to us. We receive his grace not because we notice him, but because he notices us and he comes to us. And the right response is to marvel at what the Lord has done for us. Who am I? Who am I, Lord Jesus Christ, that you should take notice of me. I have nothing to offer you. I'm in this situation, I can't get myself out of it. But you, Lord, you have taken notice of me. You have come to me and taken my sins away and given me spiritual life. And that's what we see in this passage, and that's how we see Boaz pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did so powerfully in the lives of his disciples. You remember what happened after Jesus had risen from the dead. His disciples didn't quite yet know what was going on. They didn't know what they should do. And Peter went back to fishing. I think it's an interesting example of this. He, He did what he knew how to do. He went back to fishing. But his last interaction with Jesus had been him denying Jesus three times, that he knew him. And Jesus appeared to him when he was fishing and brought him onto the shore and restored him and gave him a charge to serve him. Peter didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came and found him. And that's what Jesus does to his people in need. And you and I need to remember. You may be called uh, to, to do the thing that's in front of you in the moment. But recognize God's grace comes to you through the community of the church, through your diligence as you seek to obey him, uh, through particular people that God sends to you, but ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to you, who finds you, who notices you, and who cares for you and provides for you what you cannot do for yourself. God's grace flows to you in many ways, but ultimately through his man of excellence, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and we'll give him thanks for his goodness to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your mercy and grace. And we recognize, Lord, that each one of us is needy and we're needy in different ways. Uh, Some of us literally have uh, serious issues going on uh, just in terms of our, our physical life, our health, Um, our finances and things like that but all of us have uh, deep needs spiritually and we thank you Lord that your grace flows out to us through the community of your church and through particular people in the church and even Lord as we obey you even when we don't feel like it uh, your grace flows to us but we thank you most of all that your grace comes to us in the form of a person a man of great excellence and perfection who has all the resources of the universe at his disposal, and he notices us, and he comes to us, and he makes our way for us, and we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would help us to know the peace that comes from knowing him, and we ask, Lord, especially if any here don't know the Lord Jesus or are uh, struggling at this moment, that you would come near to us and find us, and uh, Lord, that you would help us to see how much you love us, that we might uh, do the things you call us to do and to find the joy of our salvation. For we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. And now we'll sing back to the Lord our praise uh, from Psalm 72, Selection E. And we've chosen this because it so accurately describes the heart of our Lord, uh, even the heart that we've seen here in Boaz. He will save the needy when they call, save the poor and those who have no help. He has pity on the poor and weak, and He saves the lives of those in need. And this Psalm 72 is about the king, and yet it's describing a king who is very, very gracious and knows the needs of his people. It's a wonderful picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has pity on us and who saves us in our need. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to him.